we need more wholesome people in the advertising marketing industry, but how do we prepare them to where they're not trampled? There is no one way to recruit. This is the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. This is going to be fun. We've already been talking for a few minutes and we had to pause to start the episode. Otherwise, I think Jocelyn and I would have just started running and not even realized that we were recording. Um, as I just tipped off, my guest today is Jocelyn Lai, who is currently Director of Talent Acquisition at Duolingo, although she's been uh, doing talent acquisition for uh, a long time across a diverse range of industries. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for making time to join me. We have known each other for, I think, a decade. Yes. And this is the first time we're meeting Pixel face-to-face. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've had, a, we've had a phone call or two. And yeah. you, were at, you were in Austin then. Yep. Um, you were at T3. You've been to, have you worked at RGA and Droga? Yep. Yep. And GSDNM as well. Oh, great job. Yeah. And then a yeah. short blimp so, at JCPenney uh, right when I graduated. Okay. Well, that one will. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually really good insight into client side and how it works. And, and then you, you moved from that to the agency world. Yes. So um, while I was in school, all my internships were agency side. Um, when I graduated during the recession, my job offer was rescinded because the company I was supposed to join laid off 20% of their company um, oh and had to pull back all their offers. So um, that was a really good learning lesson for me of the realities of the industry. But that's how I ended up client side. It's something I always wanted to try. Um, yeah. Tested it out. It wasn't right for me then. So I went back to agency side and kind of did my tour of duty there and wasn't sure what was next and Duolingo came along. And so now here I am back to client side, but in a startup world. Yeah, this is a different role yeah. than I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare the established JCPenney brand of the, the aughts to Duolingo of today. Yeah. It's, it's a startup, but it is in super startup mode. Exactly. I mean, it has passed that opening hurdle. It has succeeded and now it's trying to figure out how big it can get. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, well, I wanted to talk to you. I was thinking of uh, the topic that I that I have been kicking around is how has the needs of talent in marketing and advertising changed from you know the over the last ten years as the internet has just wrought havoc on on everything it's come in contact with. And I was thinking, who do I know that has been in the game exactly that time period? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I know Jocelyn Lai. She'd be awesome to talk about this. Yeah, I remember when we first started talking, this was like when banner ads were a huge thing. And there yeah. was like, shoot the monkey or like hit the monkey. Yeah. That was like, <laughs> <laughs> so I've definitely seen that it, it uh, quickly progress and change. So tell, just give people a sense. You, you started on the client side, but give people a sense of the roles you had at different um, companies to, to get to where you are now at Duolingo. Sure, sure. So um, I'll back up um, into undergrad. So I studied advertising at the University of Texas. Um, and so I started off actually business side in the marketing advertising world. Um, realized it was actually too slow moving for me and that each year your campaigns really change minimally. And you have to also wait until the next year. And this is when most clients were on retainer. Um, and so I quickly realized, wow, I knew advertising and marketing was quick moving, but I actually wanted to move even faster. Um, and so I'd always been uh, involved in recruitment in some form or another. And so that's where um, I joined T3 at the time to help start up or help with recruitment there. And the mm -hmm. reason I joined at the time is 
while I was at JCPenney, I was a digital analyst. So I did analytics, digital production, and they were looking for analytics at the time, but didn't know what analytics looked like. So it kind right. of <laughs> made sense of if I played the role before, I'd be able to speak that language. Um, so that was my first foray into recruitment. I made a few pivots back into the business side, but ultimately decided, yes, recruitment is my home. It's where I love it. And so the common thread for me across the different organizations that I've been at has been to join at a point of change or transformation. So at T3, it's help us build out new digital capabilities. Um, then I joined GSCNM, where it's help us go from big traditional TV centric type ad agency to a place that's viewed a little bit more modern and bring in um, that, that digital expertise again, help us rebrand in a way. Um, then after GSDNM, I went over to RGA, which was help us open up new offices and restructure offices. Um, talk about it. Talk about a difference from the culture of GSDNM to RGA's grow, grow, grow yes. when, when you when you joined there. Exactly. And at the time, that was also when Bay Area was really going through its peak of growth. So mm -hmm. agencies, ad agencies at the time were faced with this big challenge of all these startups are taking our talent. How do we compete as an ad agency? So there was a lot Watch of that. Out. Yeah. So there was a lot of that thought process um, in restructuring, repositioning, and then opening up, helping open up the LA office. Um, and then they moved me over to Asia for a bit where I helped open up the Shanghai office, restructured Singapore a bit. Um, and then Sydney is relatively easy in terms of just grow Sydney. Um, and then the Droga 5 opportunity came up where it's, um, we're growing as a company, but help us build talent acquisition from the ground up. Because at the time they were using only external recruiters, which is, right. I think something important for talent to understand is there's external recruiters who are essentially vendors to the ad agency or uh, the, the company. And then there's internal recruiters. They're always- talk of, uh, So I am familiar with this distinction, but I bet a lot of our listeners are not. If they get a contact via LinkedIn from a recruiter who is external, who is a, a essentially a headhunter, who is working to be the matchmaker between a company, which might be an agency, mm -hmm. and talent, they take a commission yep. of the talent they bring to that company. Yep. And talk, talk a little bit for, for listeners about internally, how does that impact hires? How does that impact prioritization of interviews and candidates? And, and you know, what does that do to someone's chances when an outside recruiter brings, brings in talent? Sure. So I've been on both sides. So when I did my own consulting, I was external consultant, external recruiter. I will say if you're a great candidate, it doesn't matter who you come from because your experience uh, so the, will speak for itself. So the key is to be great all the time. Yes, I think we should all aspire for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say there are a lot of external recruiters who are very salesy because of that financial model, the financial incentive. Sure. So I think it's totally cool to work with external recruiters, but just be aware that there is that extra incentive. Whereas in-house, if I place 200 people, I'm still making the same salary as if I place zero. Right. And the internal recruiters know there's an org chart that they're looking at. They know the roles that need to be filled. They have an open, you know, job uh, rack that they're trying to meet. And they're saying, oh, okay, here's what the, the candidate needs to look like from a skills perspective in order to be considered for this job. Exactly. Yeah. Just, just more structured. Yep. Yep. So when you, you mentioned a few things along your, along your path, which was a lot of growth in the aughts, uh, a lot of startup, um, so, you know, high growth, high uh, competition for candidates. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and to now, which I'm assuming it's still competitive at the scale that you're hiring at Duolingo, but is it, is it different in terms of the skills you're trying to gather or the, what you're looking for in candidates that may have been in similar levels when you started and now? Yeah, so I would say competition-wise, it's still the same. Um, because if you're working, for me, I've always aspired to every place I join, not only has to be at a point of change, because that's mm -hmm. where cool ideas happen, but also have to be the best at that time. And I think when you work for a company who looks for the best talent, competition will always remain. Regardless of if you're looking for engineers, designers, strategists, account managers, it will always remain. Um, but I do think over time, um, the motivation behind talent and why we look at talent has changed. So I was trying to think of like, how do I succinctly do a TLDR on this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so my TLDR on this is it used to be people joined an organization to do work together. Then it became people joined organizations to have fun together. And now I truly believe it's people join organizations to build something together. So oh, one, that's a nice way to look at it. Yeah. So one is like, okay, my, I just, I need a job just to go in and, and, you know, work with people. Then it's like, I don't want to just work with people. I want to have fun. And that's where this whole trend in the ad agency world came of like culture fit. Um, right. We always ask people this question. And now that I look back, I'm like, maybe it wasn't the right question, but it's like, would you want, would, would you be able to like live with them? Would you want to spend 50 hours a week with them? Right. What if you got stuck in an airport? Exactly. So that was all about I've like, heard this before. Yeah fun but now it's like all right we've seen what fun can also do there can be some negatives with it so now a lot of candidates are looking for mission-driven purpose-driven organization where we're all doing good for the world and that actually I think does create for a stronger team bond because you don't have to check the values of people on your team it's like okay we're in this together if we're so Duolingo our mission is to provide accessible education in the world if every single person on that team believes in it it's pretty hard for an asshole to make it into the company, <laughs> right? Right. Um, and, right. And the way and what motivates us is all the same. So it makes for more efficient meetings. Or even if they are, it doesn't break down some mythical culture yes. because even if they're a jerk, they're still going in the same direction. They're just doing it like a jerk, but they're still yeah. getting like, yeah, but we're all trying to make accessible education like superior and better and improve it and build it. Right. I just do it like a jerk because that's yeah. who I am. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of reflects me as well. <laughs> uh, what, when you say really competitive for talent, you know, going after the best talent, mm. that's who, that's the place that you want to be is always in that competitive mode to get the best talent. What does that look like inside the organization? You know, how, how are you vetting talent? How are you searching for talent? What makes you discount? Uh, yeah. So I would say it depends on each organization on what their operating values are and how they measure success or a good candidate at Duolingo at base, everyone has to be an incredible expert at what they do. So if you're a software engineer, you, your code is impeccable. The logic is impeccable. If you're a designer, exact same. If you're in accounting, exact same. So that's a non-negotiable to start with. Right. Um, on top of that, it's what additional best practices or thinking do you bring? And then do you mm. truly believe in our product? And those are things that we can vet out by the way people code, by the way people design, by the way people come up with marketing campaigns. Um, so you're just, you're just trying to make sure from top to bottom, this is a person who is great at what they do, you know, 
flawless in their work, their execution, and believes in what we're trying to do, whether you call it a mission or whether you just call it the work product, they believe that it is worth investing the time and doing it right to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say um, there are two things right now that are big motivators to anyone joining Duolingo right now. So the company will change over time, but right now it's someone who wants to come in and build incredible product but also build an incredible company. And that is something that I don't think everyone is interested in. And it's totally fine. Those are two different objectives as well. I mean, building an organization and building a singular product or suite of products are different skill sets, different mindsets, different everything. Yeah. But are you hiring different people to cover those different directions or is it the same people that have to understand both and be able to plug into both streams when needed? So it's both. So we do have, for example, a business strategy and operations department where that's their role. And then the leaders of each function, that's also their role. But even if we're hiring, for example, a new grad designer, they have to be scalable. So we asked this question of like, or at least I asked my question of, are we looking for scalable people or are we trying to scale people? Like, I think the former is always much easier to, to plug into a business, right? Because they just naturally know how to grow things. It's like buying a seedling versus trying to, to grow something from, from the seed itself. <laughs> well, wait, how do people scale? What is a scalable person? Sure. So to me, a scalable person is someone who, a little cliche, but I think has that entrepreneurial spirit. They're able to figure things out without someone telling them exactly how to do it, but not only figure things out in a hacky way, but like actually define, this is a great way that I think we should do it. And then evangelize that. I love working with those people. Yeah. It's like down and whiteboard it out or sketch it out and say, I saw this problem I've never seen before. And here's an approach. Let's talk about if this is the best way to do it. Yep. Like, well, we don't know how to do that. I guess we just all go home. Right. Cause there's some, I've worked in some places where it's like people like meander in and out and they get the work done, but as they're meandering, they're creating a mess. Yeah. Scalable people are, as they meander, they're creating organization. There's like a trail of organization behind them. They are documenting and creating yes. processes as they go so that next time this will not be an issue. It'll be solved. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then right. scaling. I've never heard that term. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, this is something that's been in my head for a very long time or four months. Um, and then on the flip side, scaling people is, um, and I know this is controversial, but there is this um, thought that you can find someone who has the basic skill sets and can grow them into the role. Oh, that is, that is a little controversial. Yeah. So I think if it's, if the organization is at the right point in time, absolutely. That is doable. But right now where we are like 210 people and we're like half created already, half still in formation, it can cause for a lot of confusion in roles. I think it is possible in companies that are on that precipice of growth. Small companies get into deep trouble when they try to scale people because mm-hmm. you, you can't hide people that create gaps in skills. Yep. In, in a small organization, but in, in a bigger one, there's room, there's usually some overlap. So exactly. those gaps get kind of covered up while the person figures their way out to grow into it. Exactly. Does this, the, the idea of um, people who can scale and scalable people, is this the same mindset that you had during the, the heyday at opening offices for RGA and, and working with Droga to build a recruiting process? That is a great question. I haven't thought about it. I that ask yet. great questions, Jocelyn. <laughs> um, I would say 
Yes, but not to this extent. I don't think it was nearly as well thought out because I didn't have the right place to implement it. So ad agency side, when I recruited for them, is more recruiting based on gut. Um, whereas now it's much more technical. It's actually become more of a science than an art form. The recruiting itself or the skills? The recruiting itself. Oh, tell me more about the science. Yeah, so now it's like we always have a take-home task or an on-site task at the interview. So even mm -hmm. if you're interviewing for facilities assistant, there is a task on-site. <laughs> and part really? of, yeah, and part of that is so we can remove the bias because when I look back to ad agency world, there's a lot like, oh, they just seem like they're, they're really ambitious. Right. It's a lot of seem and feel and believe, but it works for ad agency world too because it's such a touchy sort of, sort feely of. type sort of world. Of. Sort yeah. of, yeah, I believe, I believe sort of, um, but I do also think people are probably a little bit more in tune with their emotional side and feelings than a technical organization. True. Is it right? And do you, TBD. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah. The take-home task, so if it's a developer, if it's a software engineer, you give them code to assess, to clean up, you ask them to write a bridge between two pieces of code. Yep small kind of hour long assignments or is it a big deal? Yeah. So, um, it's definitely along those lines and I'm trying not to share the exact task either. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Please right. don't, please. But it is definitely like coding base for design. And we also test for that. Um, just to get a good baseline of what truly are they capable of? Because if I look back to ad agency world, a lot of creative recruiters are like, well, I've seen the same piece of work in 10 books. Yes. I don't know what, who's actually doing what. Right. right. So this is a way where we can truly vet that out, but it also wouldn't be right if we only did that for design. So we do the task for every single function. God, that's amazing. Yeah. The job is it to dream up the task, the hiring manager, or do you have kind of a standard set? Yeah. So it's a partnership between the hiring manager and the TA team, the oh, talent really acquisition team. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So like one example um, is when we hired a facilities assistant recently, it was, hey, we need someone to come in and help us organize the shit out of our office and make it shine. And so the task was walk around for 10 minutes and tell us what is our biggest opportunity for organization? What is our biggest inefficiency in the office space? I wish that you would have called my wife. Because she <laughs> like if she walks to our house, she does this. Yeah. So and like in that office, she would have done it. And that's how you find the people with the right, right thinking and not just the right words in an interview. So it's not arduous. It's just, hey, this is the job. This is a lot of what the job looks like. And this is the kind of problem solving we need. Show us how you think. Yeah. Very simple. Yep. And it's interesting because the candidates who are who like push back on it, we also realize they're typically not the right fit anyway. Yeah. Right. If you're not willing to invest 10 extra minutes or an hour or two to do this, you probably don't want, believe in the mission enough to try. Right. Or there's a bit of an ego at play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's always an issue. <laughs> is the, is, is the ego, has that changed from agency world to, and, and the, the heyday of digital agencies at their peak growth, you know, startup boom to today, or is it still the same challenge in, in certain positions? I think there's, you have ego engineers. I've, I've seen it. Yeah. I would say Duolingo, and I'm not saying this just because I'm in recruitment, is very magical of a place. <laughs> um, people are incredibly good at what they do, but also incredibly kind. Oh, it's the best. Uh, yeah, I remember my first day on the job, I texted my mom and I said, this place is creepily nice. And I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop. It, it's still honeymoon phase for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm almost at one year. 
That's um, awesome. Yeah, so I would say that is not the norm though. The norm is there will always be challenging egos everywhere you go. The way I always look at it is those are problems to solve. They're not yeah. barriers. They're just things for us to solve. And once we understand how to solve that personality, that actually frees us up to continue to move up. Because as you move up in your career, you're basically getting paid to deal with bigger and bigger egos, yeah, right? right? Personalities. So it's only good practice. Do you have some kind of a personality test that you go by to, to help match staff and help kind of get people to interrelate with each other? Yeah. So we don't do that. Um, it's more of just, we should be able to work well with each other. But if we let's say there's a team match and it doesn't work, we quickly make that change too. So we're also very quick to admit fault. Got it, got it. We don't do any sort of scientific personality test. Yeah, I'm always, those are dubious to me, but Mm. if if you believe in it, it's like astrology. If you believe in it, you will find a way to make it work for you. And I think that's probably good. Yeah. But if you don't believe in it, you're not gonna I think a lot of the personality tests come from lack of self-awareness and feedback. I think if your organization does a really good job of training each other how to give and receive feedback and implement feedback, then personality tests aren't as necessary. Now, when we were talking before we started, you got very excited when you started talking about um, new, new graduates, let's call freshly minted professionals who are, who are coming out of school. Yep. And they've sort of been, they've been educated for sure. They've been soft trained into a discipline, which they haven't been, you know, really, uh, I guess, battle tested is the way to say it. And so they start in an industry like advertising, like marketing, and they get trampled or they get, yeah. you know, they're, they're just not, they're, they're just not hardened to understand what is about to happen when they're in the professional realm, as opposed to a, a student learning it and, and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Talk to that a little bit about, you know, the, what, how, you, how you've uh, worked at OU and some of the uh, talks that you give. Yeah, so I went to a career fair at OU, I think this was like four years ago. Um, and I was blown away by how wholesome and kind all the students were. It was such a big relief from New York. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness, we need more of these people, these humans this character and quality in the advertising world, but I also really don't want them to go to New York and work at an ad agency because they'll just get eaten alive. Yes. And so that's really it's, what- it's that, it's that collision of those yeah. egos and that, that speed, that intensity of the work. And it's not that because they're new, it's not because they're young, it's not because they're naive, it's just because they haven't seen it before. Right. And so it's like, idle way of pushing them over. Yep. So I think one is they haven't seen it before. The second one is I think schools, universities do students a disservice by painting a false reality. So I remember when I was in school and I always thought every single meeting had to end with you asking for the business, because if you worked in advertising, you were always pitching business. <laughs> Little did I know 90% was status meetings. <laughs> more, more than 90%. Right, right. Um, so there's also that piece of stu- or professors always tell students like, oh yeah, if you go into the ad agency world, it's going to be amazing. Um, You just have to complete these courses, get an A in it, and you'll get an internship. False. I wish it was true. Yeah, technically you probably don't even need a degree to be able to get an internship in advertising. Some of the best employees I ever had didn't have degrees. Right. They're really intuitively smart, good at what they did, knew how to move around, knew how to come up with ideas and how to talk about ideas. Yep. 
yep. how to execute, yep. you know? Yeah, and so my course basically teaches students how to navigate and learn the street smarts of advertising. So what do you do when you have a terrible boss? We'll all have that boss at some point. Um, one thing that I talk about a lot is how do you quit? And when is it right to quit? Because I know the first time that I resigned, I did not resign the right way. Like it is still an embarrassing story to me. <laughs> Can you tell it or no? Is it too I, bro, I, will, I, I will save myself and many others. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. But that is a lesson. How do you know? And we, I've seen um, people come in and say, well, I got a new job. So it's Wednesday and Friday is going to be my last day. All right. Mm. You know, well, that's not really ideal. And now the people that are on your team are going to be penalized for you doing that and not yeah. giving two weeks notice. And ultimately, is two weeks notice going to save anything? Is that enough time to find a replacement? No, but it's just, it's a courtesy that keeps the door open for you to come back and to get a positive reference from us. Yep. Two days is not enough. Yep. And in addition to that, I think a lot of candidates or um, professionals aren't aware that sometimes you give two weeks notice and you're working on something confidential and they ask you to leave in the moment. In that case, be ready. Um, Because if you're not ready for it, you could take it very personally when it's really just about business. That's right. But it's, it's more about the, the education that you're talking about is knowing the difference of, okay, in this situation, you should give two weeks notice, or maybe you should give three weeks notice, or you should probably expect to be walked mm-hmm. out as soon as you say, so have your stuff in a box, Yep. you know, clear your office or your cube before you give your notice, because they're going to yeah. take you right out and take your key card. Right, right. It's uh, teaching students how to anticipate these unknowns, because um, no one ever told me to start thinking about what happens if there's sexual harassment at work. Like, what would my stance be? I never thought I would ever have to think about that. And now that I look back, I'm like, I wish someone had told me that. (laughs) So I'd be prepared. Same thing with like, what do I do if my values don't line up with the companies? Do I work for the company? Like, and how long do I tolerate this for before I talk to somebody? Exactly. Especially now. So again, over 10 years, we've made a lot of progress in getting these things up to the surface where it's a conversation that's happening. We can talk about harassment. We can talk about kind of people being inappropriate. We can talk about uh, racism, ageism, all these things that have been tucked away. Yep. Uh, so how does that impact the, the way that you're looking at talent as they're coming in? Is that conversations you're having with the, the students? Is that yeah. conversation or is it just people more aware of it in general? So it's interesting when I talk to my students about this, in their minds, there is no concern. And I think it's this whole thing of you don't realize how real the real world can be until yeah. you enter it. So the way I see it is the best I can do for them is to at least just talk about the fact that these things will happen. And I give them assignments of like, let's say this happened to you. What would you do? What would be your reaction? So at least they've gone through the thought process versus if it's happened, happening to them the first time on the job, the last thing you want is for that to be the first time that they're thinking about yeah. how to solve it. So for for professionals who are teaching students in engineering, software engineering, um, in marketing, in advertising, mm-hmm. in design, what's the biggest gap that you found as you've been doing these talks? Yeah, um, I would say... It, it down to yeah, it kind of depends on the function. I would say software engineering, the biggest piece is how do we be inclusive with women at work? Mm. Um, so women in tech is a huge topic right now. I just got back from Grace Hopper, not just got back, October, I got back from Grace Hopper, um, which is the world's largest gathering of women in technology. You go mm-hmm. in there, you feel amazing, you're empowered, but there's actually a slight piece of it that bothers me a lot, um, where 
there's so many big tech companies going there now that you walk in and as an objective individual going there for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, everyone is looking at these women engineers as like objects. Just like- but, And like the opposite kind of object. Right, in terms of like, I have 10 roles I need to fill. I just yes, need a woman. Yeah. yeah, right, right, right. It's like where you go to, I hate to say this, but it's like where you go to do your token shopping. Yes. They're exactly. not like pinups. It's like, oh, I need, I've, I've told my team I'm going to commit to having at least 10% of my staff be female. So here we are. Right. Right. Yeah. That must be, I have not been to that, to that event or um, other events like it. Um, and I have not had that thought. That's a, that's a bummer that, that, it, that you got that. Yeah. Feeling. And so the, this might be the optimist in me, but anytime I see those situations, it's like, I'm so grateful that I work for a place where we don't see women as like, Oh, we just need to hit a quota. Yeah. It's more of like, let's just hire amazing people and be open-minded and inclusive. And through the technical tasks, we will, the, the process itself will be able to determine if someone meets our bar. And from there, if our process is correct and fair, we then should have a very equal gender ratio. Right. But it's more at the top of the funnel that you have to do the work to make sure you have candidates who can be exactly. uh, objectively reviewed for skills of both genders, of all races, of all kinds of different backgrounds, so that when you're making a decision, it doesn't feel like there's pressure to hire one versus the other because there's always a funnel of different types of people coming through. Exactly. And so it does create down the line more work for the recruitment team, but it's worth it at the end. Um, But I would say that's the biggest piece for anyone who's in like a mentoring, teaching type role for engineers, um, for everything else. So marketing, product management, design, strategy, I would say the biggest piece that I have seen decline in terms of student ability is the ability to self-problem solve. And I really think this is because we are becoming like an instant gratification, more and more type of a society, where if we have a problem, our technology can solve it versus us being the technology to solve it. Is it is it, are you saying that because we're so specialized, if it's a, if it's a problem for a designer outside of design, we can't solve it? Or just in general, people don't, they kind of shut down when they get to a point they haven't seen before? The latter. So it's less oh, specific wow. about um, like designing or coming up with a brief. It's more of, if I've come across something that I've never seen before, I don't know what to do. I should ask my neighbor first, or maybe I should ask my boss first, or let me just right. ask my professor how do I get an A in this course? <laughs> it was like, right. well, that's actually not the purpose. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. You hear the Slack, right. the Slack sound effects start tacking yeah. off all over the office. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah, but I hear a lot from students increasingly. So I need an A in this class. What do I need to do to get an A? And it's like, one, an A. It's you need to earn an A. And two, I'm not going to tell you how to get the A. You need to figure out on your own because it's very clear. Um, and you don't need the A, you need the knowledge that yes. you need to figure out what it is you want to walk away from this course with. And if you gather all that information and knowledge and you absorb it, you will earn the A. Yeah, that's a really good point. I also think we're becoming a little bit too, um, we value like the quote unquote badges of our resume or our experiences too much versus the experience itself. So someone could have less experience, but be able to make a lot from it. Instead, we just hoard all these internships and labels and we're like, here I am. I have 10 internships, hire me. But really the 10 internships, we haven't done much with them. Right. That's not exclusive to, to new uh, grads either. I mean, I think that's true of, of people, people my age too. LinkedIn has, 
gamified just like every other social platform. Yeah. It's like, look, I took these 10 LinkedIn learning courses. So now I should be, you know, able to move up a rung in the ladder. For sure. I don't know if watching 10 videos earned you the next yeah. title. You know? <laughs> and that's it's why help. it's better than not doing it. Yeah. And that's also why I think like in the recruiting process, the more and more, um, technical and vetting it is the better because then we can see through all that. That's awesome. Well, Jocelyn, this has been fantastic. I know it's, it's getting late there and I would imagine the caffeine's starting to wear off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to let you go. Where can people find you um, online? Uh, so handle for everything is Jocelyn S. Lie. So uh, that's on Twitter, that's on Instagram, LinkedIn, and my website as well. Oh, perfect. Perfect. I will add those links to the show note for sure. And it has been wonderful chatting with you again. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Good to see you finally. Yeah. Um, thanks for having right. me again. All right. And I'll look forward to seeing you if you make it out to my neck of the woods. Yeah. All right. Sure very good. All right. So see you later, Adam. So long. Wait, don't stop listening. The show's not over. If you liked what you just heard, or you've liked any of the episodes of Strategy Inside Everything, do me a favor. I really appreciate it. Leave a review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever. Please leave us a rating and a review. Please, if you can, share this episode or another episode with a friend. Let them know what you liked about it. Uh, That helps us quite a bit. If you have ideas for guests, for topics, follow up on episodes you've heard, you can tweet at us, at APierno, that's me, or at strategy underscore inside, that's the show. Either way, I promise I will respond to you and get back to you right away. And listen, running this show is a labor of love. I really do it just because I enjoy the conversations, but it does cost money. So web hosting costs money. Microphones cost money. My kids' haircuts cost money. If you wouldn't mind, look at our Patreon, Patreon, uh, Adam Pierno there, and you could help us out quite a bit. For more information about all the guests we've had, anything you want to know about the podcast, uh, my two books, Underthink It in specific, or ways to engage with me as a strategy consultant or as a speaker at your next event, please go to adampierno.com and you'll find all the information you want. And if you can't, just send me a note. Thanks a lot.